Guys, good Monday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller, and this is the I Love Seville Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. It's truly our pleasure to connect with you through the I Love Seville Network in our downtown studio on Market Street. We enjoy being in this position on Market Street. It offers a vantage point of movers and shakers walking by our storefront. Moments ago, we saw the George Clooney of policing, Michael Kochis, walking by the studio. He has undoubtedly made an incredibly positive impact on the Charlottesville community in a very short time. From our vantage point, we see the mayor on a daily basis. We see city councilors. We see boards of supervisors. We see bankers, defense attorneys, judges. Um, we see CEOs, heads of nonprofits. And what I try to do is I try to have conversations with folks across every silo of business, every category of industry, elected officials, appointed officials, folks running policing, folks running fire department, and we try to say, what's the information the community deserves or should hear? We respect um, when they say, I don't want this out there, but I'm giving you some background. Please maintain my anonymity or don't use this until next week. I routinely um, agree to How would you characterize it? I routinely say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I will put this out when you feel comfortable for this to be out to the community. Last week, we broke news on this show that we promised would penetrate the legacy or traditional news cycle, which is radio, television, and print. And the news we broke on this network, behind this microphone, in front of these cameras, was the city council and Charlottesville government and their intent to spend $5.9 million plus closing costs to buy essentially 24 acres on High Street in a floodplain, a project called Zero East High Street. The principals of this project, or the men or the businesses involved in this project, Wendell Wood, his family, and United Land Company. He's the largest landowner in Almaro County. <coughs> Bo Carrington, the developer. Mr. Carrington of Seven Development is an up-and-comer. He's a name uh, that you should remember because he's going to be around for a long period of time. In his 30s, he's got connections. He's got upside. He's got smarts, book, and street. He's got money, and he's got a commitment to this community. I would very much know and follow the name Bo Carrington and his company, Seven Development. I'm going to offer you some insight into more details to this deal that you may not know. I'm going to ask you this question. Should the city of Charlottesville buy 24 acres on East High Street <coughs> to kill 245 apartments during a time when we're in a housing crisis, terminology used by local government, a housing crisis? I'm going to also ask you this question. What should we do if the city purchases these 24 acres? Should we see or could we see a river walk like we see in San Antonio. I've been a huge proponent of a river walk on the Rivanna River for years on this network. I've suggested we create a walk all over the Rivanna that allows locals, tourists, and students alike to enjoy the outdoors, the walking along the Rivanna River. We could also create slips or parcels where businesses could post up food, 
beverage, like you see in San Antonio, an opportunity to get people outside, to get people exercising, and new forms of taxable revenue, incremental revenue for the city. This is a marketer's or advertiser's or brander's dream for Charlottesville to, to, to climb into a different echelon with what it's offering folks up and down the eastern seaboard, heck, all over the country. I think a river walk has tremendous promise. I want to unpack that on today's show. Also on today's show, I want to unpack election day tomorrow. It's one of my favorite days of the year. I am so very excited to walk out of our car, my wife and I, with our two sons, our oldest who is now in kindergarten. He's approaching six years old and he's starting to appreciate things. Parents can understand this. As our boy, our oldest has gotten older, his memory and his concept of events has gotten incredibly more significant. He's remembering things from last year as if they were yesterday. He's also starting to appreciate the importance of things. For instance, if you work hard, you can earn a dollar or two around the house. If you work hard, you get perks or benefits or rewards, like maybe staying up later or maybe getting to watch a movie with mom and dad in bed. So he's starting to appreciate the concept, not only of hard work, but the concept of yearly events, the concept of voting. He's excited about tomorrow. Why? Because dad talks about it all the time in the house. So does mom. So tomorrow before school, we are going to drive as a family of four. Our youngest is almost 12 months old, so he's still getting over the uh, drooling down his chin and onto his neck and making his onesie completely drenched in saliva stage. I love him dearly, though. But our oldest, he's going to get out of the car with us. He's going to first ask about the donuts. He's going to second ask about the voting sticker. And third, he's going to ask to go into the booth with dad to see how democracy works. And as a parent, being able to reinforce being able to reinforce experiences like this is truly a joy. Parenting is so hard. Uh, and my wife carries the brunt of the load as a stay-at-home mom. I say the years, the days feel like years, but the years feel like days. I say it's the best, hardest thing ever, parenthood. And the rewards we have as moms and dads, the pay we have as moms and dads, especially stay-at-home parents, the payment is and I love you. The payment is a kiss on the cheek. The payment will be um, an 11 month old or a 12 month old saying mama. The first words a baby or a child iterates. That's the payment. It's not in the form of monetary comp compensation. The payment is in the form of seeing life through our children. And it's beautiful. Over the weekend, we went to a cocktail party, a backyard party. And at this cocktail party, this backyard party, there was a bunch of older kids playing. They were in middle school. And they were playing a version of football where they were essentially just throwing the football back and forth to each other and tackling each other. I watched our five-and-a-half-year-old from a distance, not even encouraging him, look at this group of middle schoolers. There was about a dozen of them. And our five-and-a-half-year-old saw these middle schoolers throwing the football back and forth, roughhousing, laughing, and having a good time on a crisp fall afternoon in Albemarle County. And I watched them go from watching from the peripheral, about 20 yards away, 
to taking steps and steps closer to the group to finally chasing a football that kind of outskirted or shot quickly from the group of guys. He picked it up and he ran, ran around them. To the credit of this group of middle schoolers, they looked at my son, who's five and a half, he's in middle school, and they said, you know what, we're going to include him. And they ran after him. One of them even gently ta tackled our five and a half year old to the turf, to the ground. And I loved it. My wife, she was apprehensive at first, but then she realized that the boys were gentle and they were kind and they were well-parented. And it was in that moment during a backyard cocktail party, an oyster roast, a Brunswick stew party, that I watched my five and a half year old, our five and a half year old, have the gumption and the courage and the confidence to grow up to a to go up to a dozen middle schoolers and play backyard football with them for an hour and have the absolute time of his life. And I was so very proud, my wife was as well, to watch him do this. It's these moments and it's these experiences at parent, as parents that are our forms of payment. And parenting is tough. Every day, a lot of times, is the same over and over again, especially for the stay-at-home parent. But when you see your blood come out of their shell, and start blossoming with confidence and courage and gumption. It makes you just beam with pride. And I'm so excited tomorrow to share another experience with our oldest who's going to appreciate the concept of what it means to be an American, what it means to vote, and how important it is to mom and dad. I remember growing up as a kid, my mom and dad, also small business owners like myself, would take us to vote at the end of the day after working 12 or 13 hours. We would slide in 10 minutes before the polls closed. We'd eat stale donuts, my brother and I, and we always asked for the I voted sticker. We're going to do it a little bit differently with our sons and do it in the morning. The point of this is twofold. Parents, and I don't care how old you are, as parents, whether you're grandparents, great-grandparents, whether your kids are in college, or whether your kid's a baby, like our youngest. These experiences that we get to see our kids say their first words, or our oldest go into a group of middle schoolers and play backyard football with them for the first time, they're feelings that I've never felt before, and they're feelings that are so joyous and, and heartwarming. And so, some of the best feelings I've ever had. Sincerely mean that. All right, I wanna take a moment to talk news with you now. Tonight, city council has a vote. And I'm gonna give you the bullet points of what's gonna happen. Five people on council are gonna have an opportunity to vote yes or no and only three votes are needed. And they're gonna allocate $5.9 million potentially of taxpayer money plus closing costs. It'll be over $6 million. Let's just call it 6 million for the sake of conversation. To buy land from a developer and a landowner. The landowner is Wendell Wood. The developer is Bo Carrington. Mr. Wood and Mr. Carrington have a deal in place for 
Mr. Carrington to buy, to develop land that Mr. Wood has. Public outcry on this project has been significant. It's been significant from environmentalists. It's been significant from not in my backyards. It's been significant from the Rivanna River Foundation. It's been significant from folks with traffic concerns, infrastructure concerns. It's been significant from folks of all ages, most notably the homes around East High Street where the project was going to happen. It's right next to Cosner Brothers, right across from Riverside Lunch. Council basically buckled to public outcry. And now Charlottesville City Council tonight is going to vote, and from what I'm hearing, it's a slam dunk to buy land to kibosh a project. Ironically, they're doing this at a time when council and local government have said we have a housing crisis on our hands. So here, council is going to use taxpayer dollars to kill housing when on the other side of their mouth they're saying we have a housing crisis. That is either irony or hypocrisy, and I'll let you be the judge of that. Here are a couple of items that I think you may not know. One of the parcels that Mr. Carrington owns on East High Street, the Double Horseshoe Saloon, is not included in this deal. Mr. Carrington bought the Double Horseshoe Saloon, the falling down bar, tavern, late night joint. I used to go to the Double Horseshoe Saloon a lot before I met my wife. Many of you who watch this program know that I was a, I mean, when I was in college, I ran a book for folks who liked to place a bet or two. I grew up with a nine-foot Peter Vitale pool table in, in our house and would routinely shoot pool on this table from when I was 12 years old all the way to college. Got very proficient at shooting pool to the point my dad would take me to tournaments around Hampton Roads and I was routinely beating adults in eight-ball and nine-ball competitions on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights for cash money. I took that talent of shooting pool and I used it as an opportunity or as a way to make money in college. I liked to go out to Coops, into the Biltmore, into the Virginian, Greenskeeper at the time, Greenskeeper seen many names, Jabberwocky, three, for example. I liked to go to Boylan Heights. At the time, it was called Orbits. And to supplement or complement my budget, I got very little money from our parents. I shot pool. I ran this book of business for folks that like to bet on games, and I played a lot of poker, and I was good at it. After college, I stayed in this area, and I would shoot pool routinely at local establishments. A lot of people don't realize this. Across from the Kathy's Shopping Center, where Red Lantern is located, there's also a, uh, a Mexican restaurant there. There's also a, a laundromat there. Red Lantern, kind of in like the back end of Belmont. That might be Hogwaller Woolen Mills there. Um, across from there, there's this shopping center, nondescript shopping center. <coughs> and on the second floor, in one of the storefronts, you go up the stairs of this shopping center. There's a Eagles. It's a private club. You go up these stairs to this private club, and they have 
four or five nine-foot pool tables with drop pockets and some slot machines. So routinely, before I met my wife years ago, over a decade ago, I was shooting pool at various places around town. I was in card games at various places around town. Card games, I will not let you know where these games were taken, taking place. In the back of businesses, people's basements, some of the most important people in town in these card games. Buy-in, $50, $100 on up. Pool, 50 100 a game. Routinely was playing at the Double Horseshoe Saloon. At one time, Double Horseshoe Saloon on High Street was an extremely popular watering hole. And it was a watering hole that served a demographic of Charlottesville and Almaro County that is not often served today. It was blue collar, buckets of Budweiser, buckets of Bud Light. You could smoke inside the Double Horseshoe Saloon. The rules were loose, the music was loud, they had three or four, they had three seven-foot bar box pool tables. That's the coin-operated, no pockets, but ball drops in the, in the hole, and it runs to a tuttle where you pick it up at one side of the pool table. Had dartboards, shots were whiskey and brown liquor, and the music was always loud, and people were always getting after it. Double Horseshoe Saloon has seen some better days. And currently, the Double Horseshoe Saloon is closed, and it's now owned by Bo Carrington. Mr. Carrington was going to use the Double Horseshoe Saloon as an entryway or as a roadway for this 245-unit apartment complex. <coughs> Mr. Carrington is not including the Double Horseshoe Saloon purchase in this transaction potential with Charlottesville City. So he will continue owning this. Furthermore, I learned this from Hall Spencer of the Daily Progress. He's a writer for the DP. Hall Spencer is a fantastic journalist. If the city of Charlottesville purchases these parcels, and it's an assemblage of parcels, it's not just 24 acres, one parcel. It's a handful of parcels that comprise the 24 acres, 23.81 acres to be exact. If the city purchases these parcels for $5.9 million plus closing costs, the city of Charlottesville will also be in the landlord business. In the landlord business, their tenants will be the Rivanna River Company, the Rafting Company on High Street. That'll be one of their tenants. They will also have a house on Caroline Avenue where they will be the landlord of and have a tenant in place. Oftentimes, you don't want to see local government being in the landlord or real estate ownership business. That'll happen here. I do expect this vote to go in favor of spending the $5.9 million. I broke this news to you last week. You heard it here first on the I Love Seville Network before you heard it anywhere else. I think local government has got a, what's the exact definition of a quagmire, Judah? Why don't we welcome Judah in with a two-shot? What's the exact definition of a quagmire? Uh, it's like a see. hazardous situation. <clears throat> It's a little bit like quicksand, but it's like more like a more like a marsh or a bog where you're where you tend to get stuck. Quagmire is like a complex or hazardous situation, as I know of it. Yeah, but could you, could you but look up the exact definition of a quagmire? Quagmire made famous by uh, the TV show Family Guy. Uh, in recent 
in recent years. times. I, I know Quagmire to be a hazardous or, or a complex situation. That's how I, I uh, interpret the definition. A soft, boggy area of land that gives way underfoot. Also an awkward, complex, or hazardous situation. Okay, so it's right. So I think the city's got a quagmire on its hands. Literally and figuratively. Literally, yeah. it has a quagmire in its hands because it's buying 24 acres in a floodplain, which is a soft, boggy area of land that gives way underfoot. It's land in a floodplain that's wet and muddy and prone to flooding. That's a quagmire. Literal definition. It's got a figurative quagmire on its hands as well. And here's the figurative quagmire. The city is killing housing at a time it says it has a housing crisis. Yeah. You're telling everyone Charlottesville City has a housing problem. We have a housing crisis. We don't have enough housing. So and you're against the them buying this? I've been asked this question by a lot of people. Am I against the city buying these, this 24 acres, roughly? Oh, I don't have a clear-cut answer. I say yes and no. Yes, I'm against it, because how can they push upzoning forward? And the whole foundation of upzoning is we have a housing crisis. We need more houses. Mm-hmm. So if they're telling everyone we're going to change the zoning cone and loosen it so we can create more housing, how can you then go and kill 245 apartments? That's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. It's talking out of both sides of your mouth, and that's the kind of BS that pisses people off. That pisses people off when you talk out of both sides of your mouth. Why I'm but isn't not- it generally agreed that, uh, that having them there would be a horrible thing? No. No? The engineer of the project has proven that this project can work. And he's proven that, uh, that, Justin they, that they won't send the, uh, the floods further down the river? He's, he's proven that the project would work, and it works to the letter of the law. He says these apartment buildings will be built on stilts. They won't be flooded. They'll be taller than the river and taller than the level that's required by the letter of the law to be built. The engineer and they're not gonna, and they're the not most gonna... prolific engineer in the market. Okay, but I had heard arguments that uh, that building this on the floodplain would would uh, cause complications further down the river for places that are also in the floodplain. That's that's not for me to say yes or no. That's for somebody in a different line of work than me. I know that there's an engineer that's putting his reputation and his license and his professional credibility on the line. And he says, the project will work. We're following the letter of the law. We want to do this. Here are the plans. And this is the most prolific engineer of his kind in the market that does the most projects and has the most notoriety in his line of work. He's also got an established developer, an incredible landowner, and he's represented by a bona fide attorney and and, and Miss Valerie Long of Williams Mullen. You got literally the heaviest of heavy hitters involved in this project. Why I say this is a quagmire is because the city is saying we need housing and now they're killing a project. And this comes in the shadows of killing or stalling the dairy market 400 apartments. August, they stalled this project because they said it was next to a financially margin and a racially margin community. And it shouldn't happen here because it would lead to vast gentrification. Why I'm 
in favor of killing this project, though, is because I'm one who puts infrastructure ahead of housing. I'm so tired. How about you, viewers and listeners? Are you not tired of folks saying, elected officials saying, appointed officials saying, let's just build the housing and then we'll figure out the infrastructure later? Well, guess what? That didn't work with schools. That didn't work with bus drivers. That don't work with roads. That don't work with traffic lights. That don't work with sidewalks. That doesn't work with bicycle uh, safety and bicycle lanes. How many times have we said we're going to put housing and development over infrastructure and now our schools are overcrowded? Now we don't have enough bus drivers to get people to, students to school. Mm-hmm. We don't even have sidewalks on High Street. Have you tried walking down High Street from the downtown mall to the Rivanna River down High Street? <coughs> you are risking your life. That's literal talk. You are risking your life walking down High Street. Put a 245-unit apartment complex on High Street during drive-in and drive-home traffic when that's the only way to get to the downtown mall from Pantops or Eastern Amaro County? It is going to be a cluster duck, quack, 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 quack. They don't have an alternative transportation passage mm-hmm. for those that are trying to get downtown to UVA, Midtown, from Pantops, Eastern Amaro County, or beyond. How would they get there? I empathize with the folks in the neighborhood that say, we can't support this. But I also sympathize for housing advocates that say we need more housing. And I think the city is legitimately in a quagmire, a soft, boggy area of land and an awkward, complex, or hazardous situation. Zero East High Street is this definition. Tonight, I explained this last week, I expect the city to allocate the money. And I expect the city to then be in the landlord business, landlord over the Rivanna River Company, landlord over this house on Caroline Avenue. I expect the city to take land off its tax rolls, which is going to push the tax burden on citizens to cover the deficit or the difference. I expect the city to now have more property, 24 acres it has to maintain, and allocate manpower, paid manpower, paid manpower covered by tax dollars. That's going to put more burden on us as business owners and as homeowners and as renters. The city is in a quagmire. (coughs) And it's a bad look to say out of one side of your mouth we have a crisis and on the other side of the mouth to kill 245 units of housing. And that's what's happening here. I'm curious to see what Mr. Carrington does with the double horseshoe saloon that's not included in this deal. I'm curious to see what the city does with the park. I'm curious to see if this is going to be the start of a brainstorm for a river walk. If the city owns... 24 acres by the river, you might as well start talking about creating a river walk. Mayor Hoosier, former city planner and a one-time mayor of Charlottesville, encouraged the community, Mayor Hoosier did. He encouraged developers and stakeholders, elected and appointed officials, Mayor Hoosier did, to look at the Rivanna River and to duplicate or scale or model a river walk like San Antonio had. 
How cool would it be if Charlottesville had a river walk? The river walk could be a connector all across the city in Almaro County along the banks of the Rivanna. The river walk could be <coughs> incremental tax sources. I'm a huge champion of incremental tax revenue. Fine revenue not associated with rooftops, with our homes, with our personal properties, with our businesses, and how we spend our money in the community. Let's find new sources of tax revenue. A river walk would be a new source of tax revenue. We could utilize it for attracting tourists to the community. We could have businesses set up strategically on the river walk. Businesses in the food and beverage game, in the brewery game. How cool would it be to have a tap room overlooking the river? Have you seen the success of Hogwaller Brewing Company? Hogwaller Brewing Company is crushing it on East High Street. Having a, having a tap room overlooking the water, having an opportunity to patronize a, an aggregation or a collection of food trucks while sitting at picnic tables overlooking the water, that'd be so dope. Parking your, your vehicle or riding your bicycle to an entry point or a trailhead on the Rivanna River and then walking with your family, with your five-and-a-half-year-old, with your wife, with your 11-month-old in a stroller along the river on a fall afternoon, that'd be fantastic. Our five-and-a-half-year-old would love it. We could put them in those rain boots, you know, those rain boots those kids have that are rubbery, and they go up to their knees, and he can splash in the shallow water. He could try to catch tadpoles and, toy and, and turtles. He could splash mom, and mom would say, don't get your brother wet, it's cold outside. A river walk. Think about it. Either way, the city's going to have to think about it because they're, about, they're about to be in the 24 acres of parkland ownership game. A lot of people are pissed off that the city is prioritizing a park over housing. Marquise Johnson is one. He's watching the program right now. Mr. Johnson says people need homes. Prioritizing a, a park over homes ain't good for him. And I understand that. That's why the city's in a quagmire. They can't win here. There is no win for city here. John Blair watching the program. He said, there's no better feeling than watching your son play football. The first time my son caught a pass at a backyard game, it was one of my top ten moments as a father. I'm so happy that you and your wife got to experience this. Thank you, John. It was one of my favorite moments as a parent so far. Watching our little boy, who's not so little anymore, go into a group of middle schoolers and start playing backyard football with them and roughing it up with them and jumping on them. And it's to the middle schoolers' credit that they included our son and didn't get too rough with him. <coughs> it just taught me this. This is what the lesson I learned from that experience. When kids are given the benefit of the doubt, a large portion of the time, they're going to make a decision that's going to make you proud. <coughs> now, there's going to be some moments where they disappoint you. And Lord knows I've disappointed my parents and myself many times. But you give them the benefit of the doubt. I think they're going to surprise you. <coughs> Excuse me. John Blair also says this. The city council literally adopted this plan for the Rivenna. It's part of the comprehensive plan. 
It's a Riverwalk plan, I believe. He sent me a link. Let me see if I can open it. You, Judah, you jump in here as I have a scratch in my throat. <coughs> I'd love to see something like this. It <clears throat> reminds me of uh, oh. reminds me of Savannah having fun on the uh, on River Road, and uh, of course, this wouldn't be uh, this would be all new. Be interesting to see what they could put up, but uh, of course, that would require quite a bit of um, coordination with uh, with businesses. And you're right, I don't think the city wants to be landlords. I'm not really sure how that would work. I think if Albemarle County and if the city of Charlottesville could work together, and they've proven their times that they can work together, but if Albemarle County and the city of Charlottesville could work together on the birth of a river walk, because it would transcend both jurisdictions, this river walk. It could be a tourist attraction of a many, 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 many millions per year uh, appeal to the area. Yeah. It would be as a brander and as a marketer, as an, as an advertiser, which is our primary business, we manage the brands for 100 plus businesses in Central Virginia, in the Commonwealth, outside the Commonwealth, on the Eastern Seaboard. Judah and I used to travel up and down to New Providence, New Jersey, to service business in New Jersey, remember? It's how I met my wife. He was there on an airplane coming from, what was the crappy airport? LaGuardia. LaGuardia. Flying back to Charlottesville after a week of working in Morristown and New Providence. You know how easy it would be to create a branding and advertising and marketing campaign around a river walk? A river walk that could start and end at local breweries or local restaurants? A river walk that could have a platform for live music on certain days? A river walk that could appeal to children and parents, outdoor goers, food lovers, music lovers, bikers, mountain bikers? There's a trail that goes from Richmond all the way to Williamsburg for bicycle riding. <coughs> we should do more with the Rivanna Trail. We should do much more. All right. Here's what you can expect tonight. I would expect this is a, a slam dunk. Will it go 5-0? Time will tell. I'm curious if Michael Payne votes no. I'm very curious to see if Michael Payne is the naysayer in this and still, that would be a 4-1 vote. I think this deal's already buttoned up, the I's are dotted, and the T's are crossed. The only reason Payne would vote no, knowing the deal's already a slam dunk, would be for political strategy and political purposes. The second thing you should consider is, what is Mr. Carrington going to do with the Double Horseshoe Saloon that is not included in this deal? The Double Horseshoe Saloon is prime real estate. The third thing you've got to realize is the city's going to be in the landlord game with Rivanna River and rafting rafting and kayaking company. We're also going to be in the landlord game with the property on Carolina Avenue. The next thing you should consider is, is this the start of a river walk along Charlottesville and potentially into Almoral County? That would be great if it was. Our next topic, put the lower third election day is tomorrow if you could. What to watch? Are we on a two-shot? Nope. 
Let's go to a two shot. What are you watching tomorrow? Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville said this. Vanessa, I really appreciate your support. Vanessa Parkhill said, love that you're taking your kids to vote. I remember going with my mom and we took our kids. What impact do you think early and mail-in voting might have on this? Interestingly, early voting has come at low numbers. Low numbers for early voting so far. <coughs> I'm surprised that the numbers are low, partly because of the national lens surrounding the at-large school board race with Bryce and uh, Spillman. But I'm also not surprised because this is an off-off year. There's no presidential election and there's no governor race. So generally, turnout's very light for off-off years. What to watch? What are you watching today? Gary Palmer, welcome to the show. Bill McChesney, welcome to the show. Mr. Bill Munkachi, welcome to the program. Chad Wood, Cade Sharts, Gary Palmer, we got a commission check heading your way. Gary Palmer. I'll touch base with you soon on that. Kevin Yancey, Sarah Hill Buchensky, Annie Zeman, Katie Pearl, David Donovan. We've got five states watching us right now. Bellamy Brown, Rob Hubbard, Dean Russell, Trevor Knight, Seth Batten. Welcome to the program. What are you watching tomorrow? What do you mean, what am I watching? Um, what's confusing about that? It's election day tomorrow. What are you watching when it comes to election day? Mm, nothing. You're not following anything on election day? I usually hear about it the next day. Nothing intrigues you? There's no storylines you're following? This is a talk show. You've got to provide commentary <clears throat> on topics. Okay. It's election day tomorrow. You what is the question, topic the that matters was... you? What, is mattering, what matters to you about election day tomorrow? Uh, I'm curious about the, uh, the school board race, like everybody else is. I mean, most of the other stuff is, uh, is pretty much uh, a bunch of no, uh, um, what, nobody's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uncontested races. C.J. Fadeley and B. Lepisto Kirtley are contested. Yep. Brad Rickle and Ann Malik are contested. Hmm. Joanne McDermott and Miss Berlin are contested. There's a number of Balmoral County contested races. Yeah, but they're not as interesting as the, uh, as the school board race. And, uh, uh, I mean, a lot of those, I think um, you would agree, are probably open and shut cases without much... Uh, I think T.J. Fatally and B. Lepisto Kirtley could be a closer race than people give credit for. Yeah, certainly. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't singling anyone out. Um, but I'm most interested in the school board race. I mean, okay, what intrigues you about it? Uh, all the things that we've discussed. I mean, the fact that uh, it really is, uh, despite it being a school board race, it's clearly a uh, clearly. Um, uh, right versus left. Um, I think it, the uh, the outcome of that is going to say a lot about the the current state of uh, of not just Charlottesville and Albemarle, but Central Virginia as a whole. Um, I'm curious to see how it pans out. I honestly, you know, um, we talk about how much uh, how much donations um, affect a race. But really, Charlottesville and 
Albemarle and Central Virginia swing very far to the left for the most part. And we all know that... Uh, <coughs> Charlottesville and Albemarle do. I wouldn't say Central Virginia does. Okay. Charlottesville and Albemarle certainly do. That's fair. And I'm curious if any amount of money could win a, uh, a conservative candidate uh, a seat anywhere in, in the area. So I'm, uh, I'm interested in the outcome of that. Okay, that's fair. Um, Bellamy Brown watching the program. Uh, Bellamy leaves a comment on the feed, which I'm finding here, Mr. Brown. He says, districts were redrawn by the court for respective parties. <coughs> Look at the 5th Congressional District. Half of it, a Democrat could not win, and the other half, a Republican could not win. I'm going to respond to that comment and say, Bellamy, I mentioned this comment live on air. Um, while he's right, the districts have been redrawn in much of, uh, in, across the Commonwealth. The districts um, offer no parity, and the districts offer no competition, and the districts offer no um, political juxtaposition in Almarle County and in Charlottesville City. Almarle County is comprised of six voting districts. And those six voting districts in Almarle County undoubtedly lean, as Judah said, left. <coughs> and as a result, you have six supervisors, Jack Jewett, Diantha McKeel, Rio District, Ned Galloway, Samuel Miller District, Jim Andrews, Bela Pistol Kirtley, Rivana District, Donna Price, Scottsville District, Whitehall District, and Malik. Those are the incumbents that are all staunch Democrats. In this particular race, you have Brad Rickle, an independent, challenging Ann Malik and the Whitehall. You have T.J. Fadeley, an independent, challenging Bela Pistol Kirtley and the Rivana. If Ann Malik wins, she will have won five straight terms on the Board of Supervisors, which is equivalent to, if she wins tomorrow, 20 straight years, Ms. Malik will be one of the folks that determines the yearly budget for Almore County and how it is spent. 20 straight years. If Ms. Lepisto currently wins tomorrow, that will be her second consecutive term on the board. Mr. Galloway is in the middle of a second term. Diantha McKeel is in for is in currently as a multiple term uh, supervisor. Parity and competition are good for everyone because they drive voter engagement and they offer fresh opinions and perspective and fresh vantage points for government. Here's what I'm going to be watching tomorrow. I'm going to be watching the Whitehall District, and I'm going to see if Brad Rickle and Ann Malik. I think Ann Malik is a heavy favorite to win. However, will the disparity of victory between Malik and Rickle be greater or smaller than, disparity, than the disparity of victory for Malik against Steve Harvey in 2019? Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey surprised many, many people with the narrowness of his defeat to Ann Malik. Let me see if I can call up that deficit. Steve Harvey. Almoral County. Okay. 
sieve, go to my sieve Wikipedia. Oh man, I can't find the uh, voter. It was more narrow than people thought. Will the Rickle loss, potentially, I mean, Rickle could still win. I think Malik's a favorite. But if Malik wins, will that loss be at a more narrow defeat than what happened with Malik and Harvey? That's one of the things I'm going to be watching. Another thing that I'm going to be watching is TJ Fadley and Lepisto Kirtley. I think this is going to be the closest of the supervisor races, Fadley and Lepisto Kirtley. I think Fadley has recognition with longstanding ties to the community, recognition with his ties to being a business owner. I think Fadley has done a pretty darn good job campaigning and getting the word out about his platform. I think Lepisto Kirtley, his opponent, while she's an incumbent, her strength as an incumbent is not nearly as strong as Malik's strength as an incumbent. Malik's been an incumbent for four straight terms. Lepisto Kirtley has been an incumbent for one term. Lepisto Kirtley is relatively new to the area. She's got ties to California. Fatally is facing an opponent in Lepisto Kirtley that is not as fierce as what Rickle is facing in the Whitehall. Malik is an institution. She's a monopoly. She's an icon. She is the the terminator of the board of supervisors. Arnold Schwarzenegger and his heyday. That's what Ann Malik is. So I'm going to be watching the margin of victory potentially for Malik against Rickle, and I'm going to compare it and contrast it with the margin of victory of Malik versus Harvey. Secondly, with Lepisto Kirtley and with um, TJ Fadley, I'm going to be watching how close this race is. Lepisto Kirtley, a slight favorite. A slight favorite, very slight. Let's see what TJ can do to potentially narrow that gap even more. I think he made a hell of a splash with those B. Lepisto Kirtley gypsy poker chip flyers that circulated to thousands of people's homes. Almoral County has got the most contested election that I've seen in a very, very long time. And that's obviously Dr. Bryce against Allison Spillman. Sonia Smith, the Democratic kingmaker, has donated another $7,500 to Allison Spillman's campaign. That's the first you're probably hearing of this. That was registered on November 1. So last Wednesday, six days before the election, six days before the election, Sonia Smith, the Democratic kingmaker, gives an additional 7500 to Allison Spillman. Six days, guys. It takes a while to deploy campaign finances. Not a while, but it takes some time. It's not instantaneous. It's not like we're trading crypto here or Bitcoin. So this past Wednesday, she took her direct contributions to Allison Spillman to $77,500. Allison Spillman has raised $190,585, $190,585 so far, according to VPAP. That means over 40% of Allison Spillman's campaign. Let me see if I can give you an exact number. 
about 40 and a half percent, 40.5 <coughs> of Allison's fundraising has been for one person. Did you hear that? 40.5 percent of Allison Spillman's campaign has come from Democratic kingmaker Sonia Smith. That is something we should know about. <coughs> That's why I'm talking about it today. We should know where the money is coming from. A lot of people, are, I'll, I'll get to these comments from Mr. DL <coughs> in uh, Deep Throat here in a matter of moments. I'm also going to watch this. <coughs> if Dr. Bryce loses, and Allison Spillman is a favorite to win this, and this may bother some Dr. Bryce supporters, but you have to be frank with yourself. Albemarle County leans left. Elmore County's got a machine in the Democratic Party that gets folks into office. Elmore County history suggests the Democrats win. Nothing I'm saying is novel or new or breaking news. As a result, just having the D next to your name on the ballot would suggest you're going to win. Those are just facts. Furthermore, Spillman's outraised Bryce, 190,585 minus 125,278. Interestingly, if you subtract, if you take Spillman's total contributions, 190,585, and you subtract them from Meg Bryce's total contributions, 125,278, this is all on VPAP, all on VPAP right now, so you can find it yourself. 190,585 minus 125,278, you get 65,307. Sonia Smith has given $77,500 herself. <coughs> the difference is darn near close to what Sonia Smith has donated. I'll watch this, and this may take a longer time. This is going to take longer to see the actual results. If Rebecca Berlin wins the Democratic candidate in the Whitehall District, if Allison Spillman wins at large, if Judy Lee wins, Rivanna, Osborne's running unopposed in the Scottsville. And if the appointed seat, remember, Katrina Colson's going to be delegate, so she's res resigning from uh, school board. The front runner for the appointed seat on the school board is the current chairwoman of the Elmore County Democratic Party, which is, just boggles my mind. So you could conceivably have a four school board candidates that are all on the board that basically are best political buddies. Chairwoman of the Democratic Party now, who's campaigned with Berlin and who's campaigned with Spillman, Spillman, Berlin, and Osborne, and Judy Lee. Okay, This would be a board that, if anything, becomes even more status quo, business as usual, even more democratic than ever before. I'm going to be very. I'm going to watch closely, and it's very intriguing to see if the makeup of county schools changes <coughs> this time next next year. Will parents <coughs> will parents pull parents that are disenchanted or demoralized or uncertain? Or, or, or unhappy 
with the direction of ACPS? Will you see these parents pull their kids from ACPS? And will that cause a social economic makeup shift of the schools? Because those that are probably aligning with Bryce as a voter and those that are probably aligning with McDermott as a voter are probably parents of either centered or conservative households with a little bit more spending power. You may see this time next year, in fact it would be summertime, August of next year, a greater influx of parents positioning kids in private school or homeschooling environments. Time will tell on that one. In Charlottesville City, there's not much to watch. The school board races are uncontested. You have four seats on the Charlottesville City School Board up for grabs, and all four are uncontested. Local council, city council, three seats are up for grabs. We already know who the three are going to be, Natalie Oshran, Lloyd Snook, and Michael Payne. There is not an election tomorrow in Charlottesville City that is worth a damn. And that's a sad state of affairs. We don't have an election tomorrow in Charlottesville City that's worth a rat's ASS. Think about that. If you go to the city, if you go and vote and you're in Charlottesville City tomorrow and you're a resident in Charlottesville City, a tenant, a homeowner in Charlottesville City, if all of us choose that are residents, uh, homeowners, residents of Charlottesville City to boycott the polls tomorrow, <coughs> the candidates still win because they vote for themselves. Think about that. What do you think about that, Judah? <coughs> I mean, what can you do if nobody wants to, if nobody wants to run? Yeah, it's disappointing, but uh, I certainly wouldn't want to run. What's that? I certainly wouldn't want to run. Well, you live in the county. Right? That is true. Um, I mean, what can you do? It is what it is. We'll have all your election day coverage tomorrow. We'll be covering the uh, results as they come in live. We'll follow the tallies. We'll follow the votes. This is Super Bowl for me. This is a, akin to the Super Bowl for me. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Uh, if I had a prediction, however, it may be... In fact, I'll hold off on the prediction. I'll hold off on the prediction. Two other items of note, and then we'll get to your comments. Viewers and listeners, in fact, I'll go to comments now. Let's go to Deep Throat. This is Deep Throat here. I sympathize with the difficulty the city faces balancing the competing objectives of housing gentrification, environment, and infrastructure. What annoys me is that in other contexts, the council has behaved as if values other than housing uh, gentrification are unworthy of consideration. This situation should bring it to focus for them back that there are difficult trade-offs between removing land use regulation and other desired... I mean, that you... This deep throat, you constantly use words, not often use words that I'm seeing for the first time. Desired data, is that what that means? Is that a, is that a typo? Desiderata? Yeah. 
No, I don't think it's a typo. I'm not look. I'm not looking at it, but I believe it's a real word. Uh, Deserata. Give us the definition. Uh, let's see. His next uh, comment is also makes you realize the importance of having sharp people in government. Period. This would never have ever been an issue had the city passed a sensible floodplain ordinance or consistently challenged um, sketch engineers looking to turn garbage land to gold for their greedy clients. That's deep throat talking. On election day, watch uh, for a write-in ca uh, write candidate. There's a protest vote out there. Let's see if it can score a lot of votes. The idea of writing in no confidence. Mr. DL also talks about the write-in vote of no confidence. Desideratum is just uh, something that is needed or wanted. Deep Throat has mentioned the no confidence write-in vote um, a number of times. I appreciate, or excuse me, Mr. DL has written the, uh, Mr. DL has mentioned the no confidence write-in vote uh, strategy or, or idea that's gaining some momentum out there. If no confidence gains some momentum, basically what they're talking about is a write-in vote. If you go to the polls, you can write in a candidate. Like, any, like there's a write-in opponent to Judy Lee in the Rivanna District school board race. She has opposition. The problem is she hasn't been campaigning. No one knows a damn thing about her. And Judy Lee could probably win with the voters from her street and the street next to it and still beat the write-in candidate. So what's happening in the city is um, some folks are choosing to write in no confidence. Instead of voting for a council member, they're using the strategy of voting for no confidence in the write-in lane. We'll see if that gains momentum tomorrow. I'll follow it for sure. What'd you say it was, Judah? Uh, <clears throat> it just means something that is highly desirable. Highly desirable? Yeah. Senorata. Thank you. I, I learned that word for the first time today. Um, Chad Wood said he's interested to see the Brad Rickle race. Brad, Chad Wood also says the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. Vanessa Parkhill says, at a recent HOA meeting, there were several people who didn't realize Malik had a challenger. They're not supporters and were expressing frustration that they didn't have another choice. I informed them there was, in fact, a challenger on Brad Rickle. This may be Rickle's biggest challenge, people not coming out because they've been accustomed to uncontested races. 100%. 100%. In fact, if you look at the campaign dollars, Ann Malik, according to VPAP, has raised... $63,409. Brad Rickle has raised 17438 That means Ann Malik has, what, almost four times the campaign dollars that Brad Rickle has raised? Almost 4x the dollars? Mm. All right. Last, last topic of today's show, then I'm out of here. I'm hoping my voice is strong for election day. I'm sorry it has not been strong. I use this damn thing, this voice, constantly and aggressively, as you guys know. Um, Ginny Hu, thank you for the retweet. The University of Virginia was embarrassed by Georgia Tech. Embarrassed. In a game where they were the favorite. 
the only saving grace from the Georgia Tech UVA game, it was on a crappy television network in the CW and no one got to see it. Tony Elliott and his coordinators fell on the sword and said, this loss was our fault. We didn't have the team prepared. That's a damning comment. This very well could be a football team that finishes the year 2-10. and ten. If this football team finishes 2-10, and ten, you got a lot of folks in this fan base that are going to be calling for the coach's head. He's won five games since he's gotten to Charlottesville. Three last year, two this year. He's coached in 19 games as a head coach. He's 5-14. and 14. If he finishes 5-17 and 17 as a head coach, you're going to have some angry people out there. And the really concerning thing is his recruiting class for next year is dead last in the ACC. <coughs> While he could improve the team through the transfer portal, that's easier said than done, especially considering the academic rigors and the academic criteria and the stringent academic nature of UVA. Why would someone want to transfer into this program if they can't cut the mustard, cut the cake, cut the cheese? People are going to point to Malik Washington, the wide receiver, who they got via the transfer portal. Guys, he came from Northwestern. Northwestern is a fantastic academic school. This guy was tailor-made for UVA. Northwestern talented football player. Northwestern, fantastic education, fantastic academics, difficult academics. He was not intimidated going to UVA. Three games left. I would say Tony Elliott may be coaching for his job in these three days. Time, these last three games. Time will tell. Virginia Tech to close the season. A Hokie team that is four and five overall and three and two in the season. Hokies ain't that good. Duke's not that good. Duke's six and three, three and two. They're vulnerable, they're beatable, they're not what we thought they were at the beginning of the year. Louisville on the road on national TV. 7.30 kick. Louisville is playing for an ACC championship and that game's on a Thursday night on national TV. Louisville legitimately could play Florida State in an ACC championship. And they're going to have to steamroll Virginia on national TV to maintain that credibility and that path to hardware. Let's see what happens these final three games. Louisville, Duke, and Virginia Tech to close the season with Tony Elliott and a lot of people saying he's coaching for his job. Time will tell. For Judah Wickhauer, I'm Jerry Miller. This is the I Love Seville Show. So long, everybody.